Trek Companion. This is episode 285. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are not doing what we said two weeks ago we were going to be doing. And you can thank Paramount for changing the Discovery Season 4 release dates at the last minute, which is fine. We are going to roll with that. So we are, after all, going to have a uh, holiday podcast. And to do that, we are joined today by Dominic Nardi. Hello. Pleasure to be here. Yes, you may recall he's been with us in the past. I think you've done the holiday ones before, but definitely you've been on like when we've discussed like certain movies and things, I remember for sure. We're going to do a few of our favorite things for 2021. That's what we're going to do. And then we're gonna be, we'll are gonna we be back in two weeks to discuss an episode of Discovery. Uh, our next three podcasts, we're just going to discuss one episode each of Discovery. And then after that, we'll be back on our usual two episodes per podcast. We'll be back every two weeks like usual. But for today, we're going to take a little break from our episode discussions and uh, talk a few of our favorite things. But before we do that, how did you guys... Uh, we're actually recording this a couple of days after Christmas, but before New Year's. How did you guys uh, spend your Christmas? Did everything go well? Yeah, not a good Christmas. I was um, I was in Texas. I just came. I drove down to Texas. Adam resides in Chicago, but his family is in Texas. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the last couple of years I've been driving to Texas. It's a little easier than flying um, during these fun times. So, yeah, I just got actually just got back this morning. So, a little sleepy, but I'll be all good. All good. But Christmas was good. How was yours, Brian? Good. I should have asked if you got any Star Trek stuff. That's often a present that people get me because they're like, oh, it's, he's, this, he's the Star Trek guy. I get him anything that says Star Trek and he'll be happy, which is somehow often true. I got a really gorgeous like throw for Hear My Theater. It's got like the 55th anniversary logo on it. I think it came from the Star Trek.com website. I like it. It's pretty. And then here's a weird one. I got a box of matches with Spock on the front. I should have brought it to show you guys. It's like, this is very <laughs> random. I don't really use matches much, but you know, it's, I don't know. It's kind of funny. Steve, your uh, holiday, any Star Trek stuff? Um, yeah, I don't think so. I don't oh, think wait, I got wait. any. I, I'm sorry. I forgot to mention, because my birthday is also near Christmas. For my birthday, my mom got me uh, the the newer, the Hallmark, the Mirror Mirror ones where they talk to each other. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. It's like Kirk. Yeah, there's, there, yeah, nice. But also the the Enterprise tree trop topper. Mm-hmm. That sucker's mm-hmm. massive. I'm assuming you already have it, Steve. Well, I tell you, that reminded me of what I got, and that's uh, Hallmark ornaments. Now, I will say that at some point in the last few years, I've divested of some of the larger, not really ornament things, but they, they sell as ornaments. You know, they spell, you know, drop a hundred dollars on. I decide that's enough. Um, but I do, I do still get the uh, smaller ones you can actually hang on a tree each year. So I did get the ones that came out this year. So I think that's the only home, uh, only uh, Star Trek related thing I got for Christmas. But it was good. Yeah, it was a good Christmas. Um, went to my side of the family one weekend, my wife's side on the other. All is well. It was fun. Yeah. Dom, how about you? Uh, nothing too special with COVID. Um, we uh, were a bit reluctant to travel. Half of my family in Massachusetts got happened to get COVID during the past few weeks, so um, oh, no. we stayed we stayed mm-hmm. home. Um, mostly just working on my nerd den. Um, I have a few. I actually got a. I have a few uh, signed photos from Star Trek actors, including Patrick Stewart, and I recently got a bunch of them reframed nice. and reglassed to get museum quality glass on them. So. It's fun just hang, finding a place to hang those up. Sweet. That reminds me. Did I ever mention 
the skirball. Did I ever mention the skirball on our podcast? I think I sent you guys a couple of pictures or something. But you know, so the skirball here in LA uh, has a temporary exhibit of Star Trek stuff. I think it's going through February or at least January. And I did go to that, and I almost don't want to say some of the stuff that's there. If there's if there's a chance that you could go, then skip ahead like thirty seconds because it would be a great surprise for you. But for everybody else. That was, there's no way you're going to go. They had so many cool things, including like a lot of props from the movies, like like the Borg cube, which is like huge, <laughs> or uh, the Enterprise D that they crashed in Generations. But the coolest thing was they had they had Spock's his spacesuit from the motion picture. Oh, nice! It was incredible to see this stuff. And anyway, Skirball, it's really cool. The temporary Star Trek exhibit is still there. Where is it in LA? Did you yeah, say? it's in LA. Oh, it's it's really close to the Getty Museum, which is a huge like museum. But the Skirball is like this little Jewish center that often has temporary stuff. I remember I've I've gone there for lots of little things before. So anyway, it's it's pretty cool. If you're in LA, do check it out. Okay, so we're gonna do a few of our favorite things. Uh, I've actually got a couple of things from a couple of TV shows, movies, a couple of books. A couple of pieces of music and some of my favorite physical media for the year. You know, some of these things I'm just going to be rattling off, but we can kind of discuss anything. But uh, the first thing to discuss, I think, are our favorite movies. Now, of course, this list is only going to be of the movies that we saw. There are so many movies I haven't seen that I know are going to be great. And for example, I haven't seen Licorice Pizza yet. I really want to see that. As soon as I can, I'm going to. So I'll just say right off the bat that Dune was my favorite movie of the year. I, I've seen Dune a couple dozen times, and I still love it. And for reasons we don't need to get into, I'm probably not going to talk too much about it, but just know that I really, really loved it. And uh, one of the reasons I was hoping to have Dom on was because I know he can talk about it with, with great knowledge. Steve and Adam, have you both seen it? Yes. I have not, but it's okay. I'll eventually see it. So have you all read the books at least? I have not. Okay. I am... Um, I'm. Just started the first book. I'm not too far into the first book, but yeah, I, so I was a big fan of the you know the original movie from the '80s. Um, I just never got around to the books, and yeah, I saw the movie when it came out on Max, and yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. So, what did you think of it, Don? I mean, I loved it. Um, so, just a uh, in the interest of full disclosure, so I, I am a pretty hardcore Dune fan. Um, I am also working on a book about Dune. I'm it's an edited volume of academic scholarship. Um, it's coming out sometime next year with McFarland. We don't have a publication date yet, unfortunately. Um, it's called Discovering Dune. So I will try not to go too deep into the weeds in the Dune fandom. And I'll also try to be careful about avoiding spoilers from the book or from what will eventually become part two of the movie. Um, but yeah, and I just thought, I thought it was a really good adaptation. Um, you know, I think Denis Villeneuve made a lot of really smart decisions about adapting the movie. It's a it's a very dense novel. For those of you who read it, you understand what I'm talking about. Like it's a very hard novel to adapt, and I think Denis Villeneuve made the smart decision to focus on the, what cinema can do uniquely, which is the power of the visual image and the the sounds and the music combining to create the feeling of Dune. You know, Denis Villeneuve did not try to explain every single piece of lore in the Dune universe. Um, and I, I think, I know there are some book fans who wish he had gone into, had added this scene or gone into this detail, but 
I just I don't think I think the movie is much better. Um, it's just, it's a much it's a streamlined approach to the book, and it's, I I loved it. Do you have a favorite movie of the year, Dom? Is it Dune? No. I mean, yeah, it definitely is Dune. Um, it's it's a it's it's a movie that I've been waiting for uh, probably since Blade Runner twenty forty nine came out because uh, I don't for the I think and I think we actually discussed Blade Runner twenty forty nine on the yeah, uh, might, podcast yeah. a few years ago in twenty seventeen when that came out. And shortly after that movie came out, Denny Villeneuve said his dream would be to make a Dune movie. And fortunately, um, the powers that be granted him his, his Christmas wish. And um, yeah, so I've been waiting for this movie for a while, and it didn't disappoint. Which, it, as you all know, is just it's it seems like that's unfortunately so rare. So um, yeah, no, so Dune is easily my favorite movie, just on a lot of levels. It worked for me. Um, you know, and I, I don't, what I don't know is how well the movie works for people who haven't read the book, because I was able to watch the movie almost as like a supplement to the book. And I could fill in some of the, the gaps and the, the lore because I've read the book several times. Uh, my wife who hasn't read the book also loved the movie, uh, but she, you know, she has seen the David Lynch version. So she knows the story and where it's going. Um, so I'd be really curious to hear from folks who, uh, like had no prior experience with Dune, just seeing this movie, um, if they were able to get as much out of it as we, as I did. I find the David Lynch movie incoherent, <laughs> even though it's, I, I, there's a mm. part of me that enjoys watching it. I don't, I think it's a bad movie, but I enjoy watching the spectacle of it and the banana pants guns on this of it. If if you didn't know the story of Dune, then I can't imagine how on earth you can follow the David Lynch movie. Yeah, um, I followed it in the eighties. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, I don't. Just I don't mean to be argumentative, but I don't think the Lynch movie is that far off from the current one. Um, except the current one is the David. To me, the David Lynch one is dated just because it looks like an eighties movie. But um, yeah, it's not that far off story wise from the current one. I didn't feel. Yeah. I mean, it pretty much followed. I mean, it didn't deviate too far one way or another from from what um, Lynch's movie was. Adam, do you have a favorite movie of the year? We can kind of do like a favorite and then we can come back and do like a runner up maybe and then just anything else on your list. I, I know this is really current, but I mean, my favorite action movie would have to be hands down um, the current Spider-Man movie. No Way Home. No Way Home. And I guess if I were going to put down like a more kind of um, more of an Oscar worthy type movie, I would say um, The Last Duel. Last Duel, man. I mean, obviously, I'm a I'm a really Scott fan who isn't. But I didn't get Last Duel. This I don't think this is a spoiler, but if you if, if you if you might consider somebody might consider this a spoiler. Skip ahead 20 seconds. So Last Duel is like a Rashomon thing, right? But all three stories seem the same to me. I didn't get it. Like if if you tell if you do Rashomon, but everyone's the same, well, why do Rashomon? I didn't get that. That it, I just I felt like I'm not saying it's bad. I, I was just puzzled by that movie. I just felt like I didn't get it. I don't think that was the point. I don't think that was the point. It was the point to tell every, the truth is kind of in the eye of the beholder. But that's, so each truth. I know that's each, the point of Rashomon. Each, well, each truth, but this is each truth is similar yet different and they i got seem, the, I, they, they seem the same to me that was the thing now they were distinctly different to me okay all right i mean it's the same story told over and i mean if there's one kind of complaint about i would have about um the last duel is like you know they say tell the same story 
um, three straight times. It's just done from a different perspective. Steve, you got a favorite movie? And again, I'm reminding our listeners, this is just from of the movies that we've seen. There's so many movies yeah. that we all haven't yeah, seen. Definitely. So it's more, it's not we're not saying these are like the best movies, it's just our favorites. But Steve, do you have a favorite movie of the year? Well, so what I end up do, often doing is watching a whole lot of movies in January because I it gets I'm, I'm an Oscar Oscars. guy, so I you know I want to see what's so I try to anticipate a little. Do bit you literally wait until they actually release the nominations and then go through them? No, I try I try to get a jump on it, but what's happened the last couple of years is not going to the theater. I have I'm more limited. I mean, I have several streaming services, but not all of them, and so you know, and then you have only so much time too. So I've I've seen a few things that I you know we'll see where it goes or I try also try not to pay for it streaming until I have to, too. So I'm kind of at this point right now, actually I'll probably get ready to watch a whole bunch and not a lot now. So I can just really speak to what I have seen. Um, I really enjoy um, the power of the dog on Netflix. That your favorite of the year uh, that you've seen. I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's a recency effect and I don't even, I was trying to go through my list of stuff, but um, well, let's talk about power of the dog for a second. Yeah. I thought it was, a beautiful film. I really, I mean, it's great. I really liked it. I've seen a lot of people put it as their number one. It would certainly be in my top 10 for the year of the movies I've seen. Crazy, great performances. A beautiful movie to look at. The score that Johnny Greenwood, he's the guy that does the Paul Thomas Anderson movies, right? I think his score was gorgeous. And it was just like, it like, I, I've not, I can't remember seeing a movie where the music set the tone of, of the movie more than anything. Like watching the movie, the whole movie is haunting because of the music. If you imagine flipping the music, a different score, it would be a, such a different movie. And that's, it's usually music usually is more of a supporting role, but here it just, it seemed to direct everything to me or, or, you know, define every scene in a way that just made the movie constantly beautiful and, I really, really liked it. Uh, you know, not my favorite of the year, but definitely up there. And I really, really liked it. Did the score stick out to you? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I did. I did notice that. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. What were you going to say, Adam? I was going to say, I, I was, I watched a Western the other night and it came down between the harder they fall and um, the power of the dog. <laughs> but I watched, I haven't watched the power of the dog. I watched the harder they fall, which was entertaining. I wouldn't call it like a great movie, but it was definitely I loved harder they fall. It was yeah, like, it's entertaining. cause I watched yep. that before power of the dog. I remember a few months ago, whenever it came out and I legitimately thought this is the first actual Netflix movie I've really enjoyed. There have been a couple of other good Netflix movies, but as I've often pointed out, they weren't actually made by Netflix. They were acquired by Netflix, which is not the same thing. Anybody can do that if you just got enough money. But they made The Heart of They Fall. And I really yeah, liked very it. Enter- I it was very great. entertaining movie. Yeah, it's a very entertaining movie. Yeah, the cast is awesome. And Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it was really great. I really liked it. Dom, you got a runner-up to Dune? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I haven't seen a lot of these movies. My wife and I will tend to watch uh, some of the more uh, the Oscar contenders mm-hmm. in January, February. So we just haven't gotten to some so, of those yeah, yet. Yeah, you and Steve, you're on that one together, right? <laughs> um, but I just I just throw a few out that I thought were kind of worthy of mention in a few different for for various reasons. Um, speaking of Netflix movies, Space Sweepers, I thought Space certainly Sweepers. Yeah, it's not an Oscar contender by any means, but it's it's. It's basically a Korean version of Firefly. And if that sounds at all interesting to you. But it's a movie, it's, not a show. It's a movie. Yeah, it's a it's it's entertaining. It's a fun kind of I actually found it more interesting in some ways just to see what like what seems to be a, a burgeoning Korean uh, cinema scene. 
between this and Parasite and some other Korean shows that are coming on Netflix. Squid it games. seems like, yeah, so like seems, Squid, yeah, Squid Game. I haven't, I haven't seen, it, seen it, but I haven't I, seen it either. But I mean, yeah, I guess that's yeah. got to be the most popular Netflix show this year. Yeah, just interesting. I kind of feel like we're in the early stages of what it must have been to, like to be an anime fan or a fan of Japanese pop culture in the '80s or '90s. Um, so I don't know. Just it's worth Space Sweeper. It's worth checking out if you kind of like you know fun space opera type stuff. Um, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll throw. I'll mention Green Knight. I uh, I don't think it, it it was my favorite of the year, and that's obviously Dune. But um, I really liked. Green Knight, gorgeous movie, especially the beginning and the end. Um, just some of the most beautiful images I've seen in a movie on um, just a, a, a tiny budget. I was I was shocked at how professional the film looked. I haven't seen it, but it's certainly gorgeous. The trailer, you know, looks like uh, looks like my kind of movie. It's a twenty four, right? And yeah, I usually like a twenty four stuff. So, uh, Adam, you got any of the Thing else you want to throw out for movies? You know, I'm, I want to throw, you know, we haven't mentioned, throw a shout out to the the last James Bond movie. I really thoroughly enjoyed that. I thought that was a no good time to die. I thought that was a good way to kind of end. I mean, obviously, well, I won't say it, but I mean, that was a good way for him to end um, his tenure as James Bond. I thought it was good, well written. It's uh, it's uh, that. I just want to go back. Like when he first became Bond, I didn't enjoy Casino Royale. And I don't even think I really liked, um, what was the second one? The Solaris. Quantum of Solace. Quantum of Solace. I don't even think I liked that one. They're entertaining. It wasn't to like the third one that I really started uh, getting into his, his Bond movies. And, I disagree yeah, a little I mean, bit. Like uh, Casino Royale is, uh, that's my favorite of his movies, but I, I really hated Quantum of Solace. Yeah. Well, in the, in, in the, so, I mean, in the contents of all the, what do you do? Five total. I mean, yeah, it really, it works now. Like when it first came out, I was not like, that impressed with casino royale but like when you bookend it with what um you know no time to die it totally yeah it's it works really well and it's i guess i guess that would be the first time there's been like a james bond arc story told in um in the yeah movie, so i think that's uh table stakes now i don't think you can do standalones yeah i mean you got to have some kind of three line now steve what else you know well, let me go i haven't done it <laughs> i really liked uh I liked Matrix Resurrections a lot, and I liked uh, Malignant. I also liked uh, Spider-Man. I did. I liked that one a lot. Spider-Man's uh, kind of hard to talk about without spoiling anything. So, I, you know, there's a part of me that wishes that there was some way I could have seen that movie without even, not just seeing having seen a trailer, but ever hearing anything. Yeah, because it would have been the greatest movie-going experience of my life if I'd had no idea that yeah. what was in that movie was in that movie. But we all did, even just from, you know, deadline articles years ago. So there, you know, there's no way they can spend that kind of money on that kind of, on all that talent and you not hear about it, but boy, what a wonderful uh, utopia it would have been <laughs> to yeah. experience I, it for the first time. I, I think the most clever thing about Spider-Man is it frees up Sony to do what they want. And then it frees up like Disney to do what they want um, and still, and still be in cohabitat with each other. So that, that was the coolest thing I liked about it because now Sony can Sony can go off and do whatever they want now and it still will work in the Marvel universe. Well, yeah, it Disney. was kind of fun the way they like if you saw the Venom sequel this year, which was fine. It it, yeah. it gets an extra star for only being ninety minutes long. <laughs> but the way that that was slightly interwoven and stuff, you know, uh, that, that you know, without going into any kind of spoilers, but uh, that was that was neat. That was fun, you know. 
so yeah, I put I put put Spider Man on the list. I thought it was a lot of fun. Without any spoilers, I thought the smartest thing about the Spider Man movie was how they incorporated all those things that were spoiled by the trailers and by the the deadline articles. I mean, it, it could have been just fan service, and it was fan service, but mm. it actually matters in a good the story. Way. But it's still full of surprises. Even with even knowing that stuff, it's still full of surprises. You know, like it mattered to the story, which I thought was really impressive. Yeah. Like it, it yeah. I thought everything it was moved meaningful. the plot forward. Exactly. Yeah, everything yeah. moved that plot forward. You know, so all the mm-hmm. all the crazy stuff you saw, it wasn't just for oh, here's some frosting yep. for you. It actually mm-hmm. meant you're 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 right, Dom. I don't. Yeah, it, it moved the story and was pertinent to it. I just wanted to. I, I want footage from like, you know, three or four years ago. To the the room with the big whiteboard behind him and Kevin Feige sitting there and somebody's like, I've got an idea. <laughs> I'd be like, Are you high? Of course we can't do that, you know. Because um, well, what what I heard Holland wants to take a break, but I mean, just the way this movie worked out is like, well, Sony could go off and do their own thing now. Yeah, it's literally Sony's highest grossing movie ever, and it's mm-hmm. during the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. We talked about almost everything else on my list. Oh, Candyman, the new Candyman, I thought was marvelous. The rare remake slash sequel thing that might even be better than the original. I mean, it really has something to say. It was absolutely brilliant. Really great. Have any any of you guys seen the the new Candyman? I highly recommend it. I think Jordan Peele was the producer on it. I think he wrote it, too. But was Tony in it at all? Tony Todd? I don't want to spoil the movie. <laughs> well, he was the original Candyman. Yes, he was. And one of our favorite um, character actors in Star Trek, by the way. Yes, of course. I, I assume that's the reason you brought him up. <laughs> exactly. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, Boss Level officially came out this year. I like that movie a lot. If you got a Hulu subscription, check out Boss Level. The only other movie I wanted to mention, that this is the probably my runner-up for best movie of the year. Zola. You guys see Zola? Um, it's one of those crazy, crazy experiences where it's like you see into a world that's another planet, but it's right here on Earth. It's not even just right here on Earth. It's like down the street. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's um insight into a, uh, I don't know, almost, a, almost a, a, what what felt like an alien culture or something to me. It was, you know what, a few years ago, there was a movie called um, Eighth Grade. It did the same kind of thing. It was like, I'm not in the eighth grade in the 2010s, but watching that movie, it was like, wow, there's this whole universe there. And Zola kind of does that. It's definitely not okay for kids, so don't watch it with the family. <laughs> but I highly recommend that movie. It's amazing. I think it was also... A24 or it was either A24 or neon rated. It was that kind of, that kind of studio. Oh, I got one. Um, don't right. look up. Was, don't, don't look up. Was entertaining. That another oh yeah. I liked it. I wish they'd yeah, been a little bit more. I mean, if assuming the whole movie is supposed to be a metaphor for climate change, I feel like they, they, they just needed like a line or something because the average person who doesn't, doesn't respect climate change. I feel like they're not going to get it. You know, and then it's pointless. Like, well, I kind of when I watched it, I kind of felt like you could put and you could fit any kind of disaster in there. They just used um, an asteroid, but you could have you could have fit the the virus in there as a parody. Mm-hmm. Could have fit climate change in there. It kind of yeah, it all kind of works. It's just kind of a par- yeah 
for those who haven't seen it yet, it's a parody on what's going on in the current world today. So, but it was entertaining. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's clever. You got anything else on your list, Steve? Movie wise? Yeah. So another one I saw on Netflix, uh, Passing. Um, I don't know if either any of you saw it. I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Seen. So it's essentially um, it's based on a novel written, I believe, in the 20s, and it takes place in the 20s about um, uh, a black woman passing as a white woman at the time married to a white man and it's it's fiction it's based on a fictional novel but it's uh it's i thought it was really good first off what they were saying about that specific topic historically but also how they kind of drew analogies to how we're all kind of passing as something we're not you know and this kind Mm -hmm. of thing playing a role and i I heard it had really great performances who's in somebody's in it yeah i'm blanking on actors names um Anyway, it's on Netflix, so anyone could cool. check it out. But yes, it was good. Also, I've probably said before, I'm a Wes Anderson fan. So if you're a Wes Anderson fan, you're going to like anything he puts out. And so I like French Dispatch. I know for many, it's just going to seem like the same old stuff from him. But I thought it was an, an enjoyable portmanteau film, you know. And- yeah, I, I want to like him. You would think I do. <laughs> but every, they just feel they all feel the same to me. But right. I'm glad, I'm glad uh, he, they got rep- mentioned on the podcast. So. Right, right. I think it's kind of like one of those. It's like an old friend you see every few years, and it's kind of the same thing, but a little different, you know. Mm-hmm. But I is that a, is, is that another animated one? Is that no, one? no. Okay. It it does have an animated portion. I did like the animated one he did because it, he used the Seven Samurai soundtrack all over it. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, so I've exhausted my list, but I did. There's I wanted to mention my biggest disappointment. I love big, crazy blockbusters and stuff, and the movie that got me back into commercial cinemas was Fast and Furious 9. And it was the first Fast and Furious movie that I thought was a mess and not good. And I was incredibly disappointed. Yeah, I don't need to say much more about that. But that was my biggest disappointment. You guys have any disappointments from the year? Um, not that I can think of. Earth. <laughs> oh. <laughs> kind of push them out of your head. Let's do some TV shows. You guys got any TV shows that you really like this year? I'm going to go, I'm going to say two things. So I just watched the wheel of time. That was very good. It's very recent. So I'm just going to throw that out there. I haven't seen it, but I love Rosamund Pike. Yeah. So it's on my list. So, and then my favorite out, the favorite my favorite episode from this last year was the season finale of, um, for all mankind. That was my favorite episode from the year. Yeah. It was a good one. That was at the season two for all season two. Yeah. Season two season finale of for all mankind. I haven't watched it. Of course, I kind of want to because it's Ron Moore, and I mean, I get the show because of the Apple stuff. But no. so, I, um, yeah. So, Dom, Dom, would you, real quick, what did you? So, season two kind of drug mm-hmm. for me, but then it just picked up big time. Like the last three or four episodes, yeah. it's like it just gets like a night, yeah, and then it just culminates in that last episode. It was really good television. I I, I liked season two overall, but yeah, no, I I definitely agree. It, the last few episodes were really, I think the show reaching its its potential. Yeah. I liked the show in season one. I enjoyed it, but you know, I, I'm, I'm really excited for it now. Yeah. Cause it can kind of, it, now it can kind of break off and do what it's, its own thing kind of away exactly. from um, history. I haven't yeah. watched it, but another Apple show, uh, foundation, you guys, anybody watch? No, foundation? I enjoyed that. Yeah. I enjoyed that Yeah, too. It's a good show. I read the first, the first book was, yeah, I was curious because the first book was, it's, you know, it was written in the fifties. I was like, how are they going to yeah. put this into a TV show? But yeah, it was good. Yeah. I wasn't as crazy about foundation. I'm not a huge fan of the books, but you know, I'd read the books years ago and I reread them uh, this year. And 
I don't, I don't, I obviously I loved Dune, so I don't mind when a movie or TV show changes some things from the book when it, in, a, in the adaptation process, but I just, I felt like Foundation made too many changes and started to miss the point of the books. Well, it's kind I, of unfilmable if you go too close to the book, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah, I mean, it, it jumps on, the book jumps quite a bit. So. Yeah, I don't even mean that. Like, I guess part of it is I have a very weird relationship to the book and that professionally my training is as a, a political scientist, as a data scientist, and you know the foundation books are all about basically like the ethics of data science and prediction of the future, and you know, so that's how I engage on the with the books. And the show, I think, kind of lost that thread. So it might it might just be you know my my professional baggage uh, preventing me from engaging with the show. <laughs> well, I'll tell you an Apple show that I did like, Ted Lasso. We got season two. Yeah. yeah, season it's two is show. not as great as season one, but it's still very good, and it's still a, just a breath of fresh air compared to you know most other shows. Brian, Brian likes a sports show. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not really a sports show, but it. Yeah. Did you watch uh, Ted Lasso, Steve? No, I have not. I, I can't. I was racking my brain to think if I've watched much of any serialized television. Except for Trek, of course, you know, just haven't got around to it. Well, what about the Marvel shows? Everybody, you everybody watched those, right? Well, I have not yet. No, I you only, haven't watched the Marvel I, shows. Mm, okay. Haven't got to it, around to it. Well, no. I mean, I I really liked WandaVision. It it didn't quite end as well as it started, but it's it's great, and I liked Hawkeye. I wasn't as big a fan of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and What If was Loki. solid. But Loki was good. Loki was my favorite. Loki was yeah. the fantastic one. if you only watched one that's the one i would say to watch loki was loki was just goosebumpy good i would put i would do it loki would be number one um probably wandavision two i haven't seen hawkeye yet but i'm assuming hawkeye's better than um falcon of the winter's filter it so is Hawk- it's, it's just fun hawkeye's a, it's fun and, and watch it now you know it's a christmas time theme show no i, I, I was actually going to start the first episode after we were done with our podcast yeah, i just you know, on, on disney it's only six episodes i think yeah so yeah, and there's some fun stuff for fans of. Uh, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but if you if you if you enjoyed a certain cameo in um, Spider-Man, you know. <laughs> any other? Any other? Oh well, uh, the only other show I had on my list was. Uh, I got two. Uh, Mayor of East Town. Kate Winslet. It, the movie, you should watch the show just for Kate Winslet. She was incredible. Oh yeah, that's a great series. That that's probably the best performance I saw of anything all year was her in that show. Well, this is kind of a one-off miniseries, right? They're not. Yeah, dirty. they might do a season two. They haven't said. And then the other show, probably my, maybe my favorite show of the year was Hacks. If you guys have heard about Hacks, but that show is amazing. Gene Smart and I forget the other actress's name, but if you haven't seen Hacks, yeah, don't miss it. It's awesome it's as good as you've probably heard it i'm the only person who's seen hex apparently i know i haven't i've never heard of it my surprise show for the year would be um sweet tooth i really enjoyed that more than i thought it would That's yeah a it's a netflix, netflix one right yeah yeah i um, think it's, hex, good, it's good family show too if, hex um, is on it, um hbo max they're shooting season two right now cool so and it's a it's they're mostly shorter episodes which is great you can watch them during lunch and whatever you know, oh, you know, while we're mentioning it for HBO Max, I did start watching. You know, I've always heard 
so many people in my whole life have told me how much I would like Babylon 5 if I could just keep watching it. You just got to get <laughs> through the first season or two or whatever. Well, they did this they, they uh, as one of the many things they spent a little money uh, on the remaster. to get people to sign up for HBO Max. They went back and they remastered them in HD. Unfortunately, they did it the cheap way, the like halfway way. <laughs> so anything that doesn't have a special effects shot, it's a straight film transfer and it looks amazing. If there's any special effects in it. Now, obviously space shots with spaceships and stuff those are just the old you know mid 90s looking cg which is one thing they did as opposed to say ds9 which was still shooting models but they were doing b5 was doing cg before cg was really ready to do it so all that stuff looks very dated and stuff and that they just up converted i'm okay with that what sucks is when you're watching normal live action footage and somebody fires a you know a phaser whatever they call their phaser and that whole shot will just be up converted standard F because it has a special effect on it. So they didn't redo any special effects. And if, if they had, if they had just up converted the space stuff or the, where everything in the shot is CG and then redid only the special effects when it's something, you know, superimposed over live action, I would have been okay with that, but that's not what they did. So you're watching, you're watching the show and it looks amazing. And then all of a sudden a shot looks like complete poop, like a VHS tape has been run through the mud uh, and you're like, oh, well, there's going to be effect, an effect shot on this. <laughs> there's an effect coming up. And, and I, anyway, I bring it up partially because I was thinking about, like, if we could get DS9 done this way, would I, would I take that over nothing? I think the answer is no. I, I don't think so. I would rather they just don't freaking do it than do that. Now, I'm, again, I, I might be able to live with upconverted if the entire shot is CG, maybe. But if it's an, you can't you can't give me a shot of somebody and then give me a reverse shot of the same person and all of a sudden it's a quarter of the resolution because now there's going to be you know some sparkles over the image i mean you got it i i don't see how it would have cost them that whatever they were spending already would it have really cost them that much more to just redo those special effects shots i don't know yeah that's a shame i so i've i watched babylon 5 for the first time about what 10 15 years ago so um, and I, I love the show. Well, it's I, I, but I I didn't have I I haven't seen the remaster, and it's a shame to hear that they did that. But I don't know I don't know how much you follow the behind the scenes stuff with Babylon Five, and that's that's a show that's been cursed by the studio and has yeah. a lot has a lot of challenges. So, which is one of the reasons why I actually am excited for the remaster. There's a uh, uh, the, the showrunner announced that he was going to re- reboot the show on CW. Nice. And because of those issues, the special effects and some of the other production challenges they had in, during the '90s, like I say, go for it. You know, give it another shot. Yeah, you just answered my question, Dom. I, I was thinking, does Babylon Five need a reboot? Kind of like what happened with Battlestar. It's happening. Oh, it is okay. Yeah, I, I was never a big. I never really watched the show. I was never a big fan in the '90s, so I didn't. I didn't. You know, obviously, I was aware of it, but I, it just kind of yeah it makes sense because. You know, the original Battlestar was kind of campy and kind of goofy. And then obviously the reboot is just amazing. So maybe maybe that'll work out for Babylon One 5. note, if you if you watch the remaster on HBO Max, the pilot, I think they couldn't find the original negative. So that whole right. thing is up converted. That looks like crap completely. But you see, once you get past the pilot, then, then you'll see the remastered stuff. Yeah, the pilot has this history where apparently... It was show, originally shown one way, and then they went back to re-edit it and redo it to make it more consistent with the rest of the show. But because of that, they lost like the original negatives or something. So, and a lot of production problems with that one, unfortunately. Same kind of thing on Enterprise. Remember the the pilot? They I think they finished it one way, and then they decided at the last minute it would be sixteen by nine, right? So the whole show, the pilot looks like 
I mean, it doesn't look as bad as the pilot of Babylon 5, but it looks really bad compared to the, the, the rest of the show. Um, any other TV shows anybody wanted to mention? Yeah, so I definitely want to mention The Expanse. I mean, that's that's um, pretty quickly becoming one of my favorite shows. I've been watching it for years. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, I, 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 I watched it. I started during um, the beginning of season three. And so, as you, as you know, we thought it was canceled after season three for about yeah, two weeks I, until Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. Yep. And so I've been watching it since then. And I, I always liked the show. But I rewatched it this year with my, I, well, first of all, season five, which started airing late last year, just blew me away, um, the character development. And I, I won't spoil anything if you haven't seen it because there are huge spoilers. Um, but then I rewatched it with my wife this year. And just the amount of foreshadowing in the earlier seasons and the way that uh, they build the character arcs up early on and they... You know, they make sure to plant the seeds that are that'll pay off later. Just it's 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 what serialization should be on TV, and it usually isn't. I've been telling these two to to watch it for years. Oh yeah, you gotta um, watch it's it. One of my favorite, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite science fiction shows, and I know that. So they're about midway through their very last season. This is the last season that's on Amazon right now. It's about I haven't started yet. I know they're halfway so through this their is season run. season six, oh, yeah. and it's the last season. Yeah, this is the yeah. showrunners have said this is it. So. I watched the pilot, like, I mean, the first episode years ago when it first aired, and, and it didn't hook me, but I've heard only nothing but great things, so I really should give it another try. It's, yeah, it's very, I mean, it's, if you, I've read the books. I've read, I think I've read the first four. Yeah, I've gotten through the first four books. And, um, you know, we were just talking about um, The Expanse, or not The Expanse. Um, Foundation. Foundation, you know. foundation yeah i mean so i mean you know you read those books and it's like it's, it gets so complicated and convoluted because there's so much political in, in structure and different characters like the first book doesn't even get into the first book is just them on on the ship and then the first season they basically kind of combine the first two books so you can kind of get everything together so they don't match the books fully but i mean you get all you get the basic essence of it um, maybe season four was my least favorite. I wasn't sure after season four, but then five picked up. And like I said, I know they're in the middle of six right now. And I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it, the, the show. And just as a, um, to, to, you know, further, the further the sales pitch, uh, my wife, I, I've been trying to get her to watch the show for years and she kept refusing. I even, she even saw me watching the show. She saw a few scenes and she was like, doesn't really look interesting. And I was like, those characters you see on the screen, they are going to be your favorite characters when you finally watch this show. And sure enough, we made a bet on something and she lost the bet. So she had to watch the show and she, now she is addicted to it. Um, and she loves those characters. So it's, um, I will say, struggle with the first episode. Give it at least four or five episodes because the first season does a lot of world building. Yeah. And the world building does take some time, but you know, it'll probably hook you eventually. And the, the production value is there with the story. That's another thing I enjoyed. It doesn't look cheap. It looks it's it looks good. There's you know you'll get the further you get along into the show. There's a lot of space battles and they all look good. Um, you know it kind of puts a real world spin on like kind of like how it might be for the solar system. Well, speaking of books, any books anybody wants to mention from this year? Uh, I got one that I definitely wanted to talk about. The director should have shot you. You guys heard about this book? <laughs> Alan Dean Foster, the guy that's been doing novelizations for decades. I mean, he did the original 
Star Wars movie, just you name it, he's done the novelization for it. He did memoirs. He did a memoirs of just the novel. I mean, he's written lots of you know original stuff too and things, but he did memoirs that are only about uh, his experience writing novelizations and working with production companies and stuff for half a century. And it was it, like every chapter is a different movie and it's in chron- chronological order. And I loved it so much. Every little story he would tell and the name of the, the name of the book, the director should have shot you is I think it's from uh, something, an incident that happened on the set of um, Chronicles of Riddick, but every story he would tell, it was, it, it was so riveting that like I, I started the book on a Sunday morning and I canceled my plans that day and read it in one day. I couldn't put it. I literally couldn't put it down. I was like eating lunch and then dinner with it. I read the entire book in one day in one basic, in basically one sitting. I loved it so much. It was just right up my alley. It's like, you know, telling these stories, like production stories, like he tells a story about going to the warehouse in Van Nuys when they were shooting the, you know, the, the first motion capture special effects stuff for a new hope. And you know, they're trying to tell him, oh, this is the first time there's motion capture. And he just didn't care at all. And they were shooting like the Death Star, the trench run. And and he was like, I'm, this is a job, you know, just <laughs> I need to talk to George so that I can do this or that. And he's like, we felt so foolish. Like, if only he'd known, he would have really paid attention. But, um, you know, just stuff like that. Dude. Oh, right up my alley. I really, really enjoyed this book. Really, really did. Well, check that out. Anybody got any books they want to bring up? I guess the most, I don't know, I think it came out in 2020. I, I finally read I'm Ready Player 2. I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I, I remember, I think I, ta- I, feel, I think I talked about it last year. But it yeah. was a solid follow-up. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, I, did, I read a book that came out last year, but I read it this year. Obama's new book, Promised Land. It's a little verbose, like he always is, but I thought it was really great. So I read... Um... A uh, uh, Andy Weir's newest book, Project Hail Mary. I'm Have sorry, all... I interrupt. Say, say the name oh, again. Yeah. Project Hail Mary. Mm-hmm. Project yeah, Hail Mary. I love The Martian. Yes. You know, and I like yes. like I loved his book. I like really Scott's movie yeah. too, but I really like that book. Yeah, I, I I thought this was a very good follow up. It's not set in the same uh, universe as The Martian, for for all we know, and um, and it's huh, I don't want to give any I don't want to give away any spoilers, but I think. It's it's like the Martian in that it's a very smart guy doing smart science, mm. uh, and um, but it looks at different types of science. And um, uh, I don't. I, I also it's, I, it was it was a very quick read for me. I really enjoyed it, and I thought um, I, I loved the Martian. But I thought this book actually had it. You could see Andy Weir trying to. Uh, do a bit more character development, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I thought that was a legitimate criticism, probably of of the Martian. But it was like his first book, and I don't even, you know, he was like right the way he wrote that thing, and oh yeah, like almost like peer reviewed as he was going along. It's amazing that it's as yeah. great as it is. Yeah. Um, so this, yeah, this seems like this was his first real uh, effort in that sense. Um, so it's on, it's on, been in my you know Kindle list for a while. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's. Satisfying. I think I I talked about earlier on this podcast how much I enjoyed the Star Trek Discovery book Wonderlands. That's the book that has 
you know, shows what burn happens with Burnham that first year, or whatever that she's in the future before discovery shows up. I really liked it. It, it really, it's a book that kind of really kind of stuck with me. And what more positive thing can you say than it made me, it shed new light on the show and allowed me to enjoy the show in a way that, that I wasn't as much before. One, a book I read, uh, I, I think it may have came out in 2020. I'm not sure, but I read it uh, this year was, uh, so I've, I've spoken before how I'm, I'm kind of into Hollywood history and Oscars and all this kind of stuff too, but it's, uh, it's called, a uh, Cary Grant, a brilliant disguise. One of my favorite actors, Cary Grant. And it's, what was so interesting about it was I think not only that it was such a chronology of so much Hollywood history in there, just through one person's story, but also, um, how kind of a messed up person he was, for the facade he put on. And I thought it was oh. such an interesting thing. The guy basically just created a, a, a thing and, and played that his entire life, essentially from the time he went to Hollywood and never showed anyone the, you know, the struggles beneath and so much going on. And so I, I, I got a lot out of it. I enjoyed it. Well, it's kind of true of a lot of um, actors back then. Right. I mean, right. Well, certainly you probably had less leeway to um, express yourself, be yourself, quote unquote, if, if yourself didn't fit into a mold. Right. Yeah, especially the way the contracts is, you know, you basically were owned by stu- certain sure. studios. So, any other books? Um, speaking of Star Trek books, not I unfortunately I haven't really had the time to keep up with the more recent Star Trek novels, but I reread Never Ending Sacrifice by Unuma Comic, and I just throw a plug out for that one. If um, for anybody who hasn't read it yet, it's um, it's basically. It's not a sequel to Deep Space Nine, but it's more of an interweaving of uh the Cardassian orphan rugel but it's from, told it's the it's the in yes. universe right because in the in ds9 they talk about they talk about that book as yes the pinnacle of of Cardassian literature and it, it just well so this so this book isn't actually the in universe text it's not. Oh, okay. um but it's just but it's it's the, the title the title is actually significant um and it ties into uh it ties into that the book that was mentioned in the show, but this is, but this is more, uh, the episode Cardassians in season two of DS nine, um, where that, that Cardassian boy who was adopted by the Bajorans gets sent back to his Cardassian father. This book follows that kid's life throughout the rest of deep space nine. So like throughout the rest of the show, like all seven seasons, you see what happens to him. And it's, it's, it's a it's a really it's a it's a unique Star Trek book just in focusing on Cardassian culture so much, but also it's kind of think of it as like a Tolstoy, you know, like or like a War and Peace type novel in Star Trek. It's just like a big epic sweep, and um, well, I don't know, I really in keeping it. with what was supposed to be yes. the intact thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I read um, Jeff Bond. Gene Kazicki, their Star Trek The Motion Picture, The Art and Visual Effects. They're like big coffee table book. I think that came out in 2020, but I, I bought it and read it this year. And it was great. It was what I it was what I kind of wanted out of the uh t- 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 tomorrow. Uh now I can't remember the the one that came out a few years ago that was all it was written at the time of, of the motion picture, but it just came out recently-ish, a few years ago. Uh, but it was a little bit too in the weeds to be an enjoyable read. But this was like the sweet spot. I really, really liked it. All right, real quick. I just want to throw a, a couple of my favorite pieces of music, which are all film scores <laughs> from the year. But uh, 
Robert A. A. Lowe's Candyman soundtrack. Again, Candyman, brilliant movie, and his, his score is so awesome. I don't know if you remember the original Candyman, but it had, I believe it was a, it was a Phil Glass score, so it does like all these cool like you know, eighties, nineties minimalist things, uh, the repetition and stuff, and Robert Lowe's score for the new Candyman pays beautiful homage to that especially stylistically but it's incredible actually and that was probably my favorite thing about power of the dog was that score we talked about that earlier johnny greenwood hans zimmer's score for dune is probably my favorite piece of music from this year i've sure listened to it a lot (laughs) i like tom hulkenberg's godzilla versus kong score and then one that i just keep coming last last one the one i keep coming back to natalie holt's score for loki that soundtrack is incredible and that I, I just keep listening to it and listening to it and listening to it. And it really, I mean, it was already a great show, but again, these, the best scores can really kind of define this stuff. And Holt's score really did that for Loki. Fantastic. Any music you guys want to mention for the year? Um, not as detailed as you. I couldn't say, I'm, I'll have to go back. I'm looking forward to watching the power of the dog. Cause you said, you know, the music kind of helps drive that movie. So that should be enjoyable. Um, Nothing that really stand. I can only say one thing. I'm going to go back to the the foundation. I will say that I was unimpressed with their score in the foundation. That's one. That'd be one. There's your biggest disappointment. <laughs> yeah, disappointment. yeah, that's because it just popped in my head. I'm like, I remember watching the first couple episodes. And I'm like, man, the, the score. This is kind of generic music that they're playing here. Um, just kind of felt. Yeah, generic. It wasn't really because, like a lot of musical, you know, if you the good scores, good, it really kind of stylizes your story and your piece. When it's kind of feels like you know you just pulled it off of um, first com or something, it doesn't doesn't quite have the same feel. I realize I'm not like a pop music connoisseur, but for as much as I've liked Adele's previous albums, I wasn't all that blown away by the the new album she released this year. Same thing with Billie Eilish. It's good, but you know. Actually, I love Billie Eilish's Bond song. That was great. Uh, Steve, you're you're the, the especially pop music guy. Any albums this year that you really like? Did you listen to a lot? No, I mean I listen to pop radio now again, and all you got to do is like kind of pop in every six months and listen for a couple hours, and you you got it again, you know. Um, but I, otherwise, I'd know nothing really comes to mind. I looked at my you know like um, Apple Music. I, actually, I heard Spotify does this even better. But on Apple Music, you know, you can it'll tell you what you listen to the most for the year and like Hans Zimmer's Dune score was my number two thing, but like my number one was dead mouse. <laughs> like I just, I didn't even realize I listened to dead mouse that much, but I guess so. It was like, you know, hundreds of plays for a couple of songs. Well, well Brad, I will say that there's a new group that I heard this year. Um, they're called the solution. I got sent yeah, a bunch, yeah, of, a, a bunch, really a bunch of videos um, about from their new album. New, that was yeah. enjoyable. Is their website still the solution.net? No, no. I, I don't even think we have a functional one, to be honest with you right now. But <laughs> well, we, You can find we, them on iTunes. Yes, yes. And yeah. we will come out with a, I think our, yeah, we'll be able to have enough songs to make another album by probably first half of this upcoming year, yeah. Any other music anybody wants to mention? If I can kind of, so you meant, I, this isn't really so much in the music, but in thinking about the music, I remembered uh, Star Wars Visions, which does have some incredible music, but I just wanted to mention that because, um, um, some of the episodes were better than others, but I thought the ninth Jedi, um, especially and the village bride were both really great episodes and the soundtrack to both, um, just hit that, hit, hit that, uh, area of 
feeling like Star Wars, but not just being a copy of John Williams. Mm-hmm. So the, the other thing I'll say for music, and I don't know if you all are into video games, um, Near Replicant came out this year. It was actually a, it's a remaster of an earlier game. Yeah, remaster. And the music for that game is easily some of my favorite music this year. If you look at my and it's it's some of my favorite music of the past decade. It just it's a uh, you know music that I would not have expected in a video game. It sounds like a uh, you know, it sounds like movie quality music. So definitely the game is great what's, too. But what's the game? Near Replicant. N i e r near right right. Mm-hmm. I'd be remiss not to plug it, though. Actually, we do have a functional website. It's the solution, music.com. So if anyone cares, there you go. TheSolutionMusic.com. The last specific thing I wanted to cover uh, were just some of my favorite physical media releases for the year. I'm, you know, I've talked about this many times, but I guess you would call it my hobby, but I don't think of it that way. But I, yes, I, I spent a lot of time and money uh, curating my physical media collection for uh, movies. And uh, as the years go on and physical media becomes more and more of a niche product as streaming takes over the world, now you've got niche uh, distributors picking up the rights and they're the ones usually putting out the best stuff. And certainly my favorite right now is Arrow. I, I love everything Arrow puts out. This last year, Arrow had put out, they must have a deal with Universal. They put out a lot of Universal stuff. So they put out the David Lynch Dune, a new 4K transfer where, yes, they went back to the negative. It looks like they shot it yesterday. It's incredible. That might be my favorite uh, physical media release of the year, even though it didn't have the feature-length documentary that everybody was hoping it was going to have uh, because everyone really needed to put the set out and they couldn't wait for it and it wasn't ready. But it's great. There's 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 a whole piece on, on there just talking about how they... <laughs> how they tried to market like there's a behind the scenes like a new piece that they shot recently just how what how, how crazy it was they tried to market this movie to kids and it was a freaking david lynch sci-fi picture so of course it, it was totally wrong for kids you know <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's why i saw it as a kid uh, but, like they had toys and stuff <laughs> yeah right same here but they're like we're not going to make the same mistake we made and not have toys for Eddie like we did for, for star wars but no, Arrow's release of the their 4K release of the 80, 84 Dune is amazing. Yeah, that was a good one. I had that too. Oh, their Don, Donnie Darko set. I'm pretty sure that that came out this year, 2021. Their Donnie Darko set is awesome. Warner Brothers Lord of the Rings Hobbit 4K set. They you know they released the, all six movies on 4K about a year ago, but they just now put them all together in one big beautiful box set. I've seen some people complain that they don't have appendices, the, all the appendices. It doesn't really bother me because I'm never going to get rid of all those other discs that have the appendices. So I really, that's a gorgeous box set. No Time to Die, that 4K disc might have the prettiest picture I've ever seen. Uh, Indiana Jones, those 4K transfers look great. We got the animated Transformers movie on 4K this year. (laughs) And the colors are nuts. I've never seen it look like that. It didn't look like that when I was a kid and I saw it in theaters. It looks amazing. Paramount put out a 4K transfer of... Ten Commandments, which is, you know, I've talked a lot about. I love all those big epic movies from the 50s and early to mid-60s. And I, I love Ten Commandments, uh, and it looks nutty. It's just like, how can it possibly look that good? It looks so great. Warner Brothers put out a box set of the Bruce Tim Paul Denny uh, animated Superman show, which I think is the last of all their stuff that's finally got an HD transfer. 
they look great. But of course, uh, if I had to pick one thing, I'm sure you guys would agree, it would be the Paramount box set that had the first four Star Trek movies, which last summer, as we went through the Trek movies, I remember every single time talking about, please, Paramount, give us good transfers of these things. And they sure did. They listened to uh, you, They looked tremendous. Hmm? They're, because they were listening to our podcast. That's right. They no, they, they must have been working on it. They, they did a pretty good job of keeping it a secret because that stuff takes a long time. And we never heard about it until, you know, weeks before it was coming out. Well, no, I, I still think they listen to our podcast because this is, wasn't like a new thing that you brought up. You've been talking about this. For yeah, years you're right. You're right. Absolutely. I'm sure that's So it. eventually we'll see DS9 Voyager transferred then. Great. And, you know, yeah, just, yeah. and they'll do it the right way. Oh, please. I am. Um, also, yeah, Criterion started releasing 4K discs this year. Um, I um I think Citizen Kane I was like Citizen Kane and it's cool they have this huge thing with a zillion commentaries and all this you know extras some old stuff and new stuff so that was a lot of fun yeah I I got that one day and date can I just I I gotta say it still bugs me it bugged me on Blu-ray it bugged me on DVD and it bugs me even more and now that they're releasing 4K why Criterion why 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 can't you use normal boxes why can't you why does everything have to be like bigger or weirdly shaped their stuff never fits in the collection. Like if, if literally all you buy is Criterion, you wouldn't care. But, you know, if you buy anything else and you put anything together, every single time it's a pain. Their dang Godzilla box set. There's Where do you put that? It doesn't make any sense. I hate, I hate, I hate their packaging. Criterion, please, look at Arrow. Arrow shows you how to do unique, cool packaging that still actually fits in with your other stuff. Sorry. Had to say that. So yeah, Citizen Kane 4K, same issue. It, it, it's er. well, it's so hard to get out of the discs in and out of that one. I mean, it's like a, yeah, some of these are just like you got. I don't know what you got to do to mm-hmm. you know, pry the discs out of the box. Yep. Criterion's been like that forever, though. Yes, I they have. Like, yeah, like, even we the were like, days, like I got DVD the, days, even one yeah, of the surprising I mean, Blu-rays that Criterion released this year, which I was very excited to buy. And it's a kind of a slightly obscure movie called Rat Catcher. I loved this movie. It was one of the few VHS tapes I was still holding on to because, because you know, it never got a decent transfer otherwise. Anyway, they put it out, and I was just – and I got it the day it came out. And it's just this weirdly – it's just like slightly oversized see-through. It doesn't fit anything else. I hate I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. it. I mean, I hate it so much that it turns me off to buying Criterion. Like, it has to be something like Citizen Kane 4K before I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this. I can't not get that. But otherwise, I mean, I have to really want it for Criterion. I'm not going to give them their own special shelf for something stupid. So anyway, but yes, thank God they're finally releasing uh 4k discs. I know they got, they put, then they put out the Mulholland drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to buy that at some yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just watched them. Um, Cause I watched, I watched two, three, of course, three multiple times, but the motion picture just the other day, it was like Christmas Eve. I was alone for the first few hours of the day and I had nothing else to do. And I thought, I don't know. I feel like watching the motion picture. And I put that 4K disc in and it was just uh, gorgeous. That was everything I specifically wanted to talk about. You guys got anything else on your list that you wanted to bring up or anything? What are we excited about for next year? I'm, I'm assuming we're going to get more Trek movies in 4K. You know, the rumor, which I, I don't know where people got this rumor from, but this idea that they could be releasing 5, 6, and 7, and then 8, 9, and 10. Yeah, I'm not sure where that originated. If someone was just speculating or what, and it kind but of. But it's an interesting idea. Yeah, we've talked about yeah. that too. But it's the first time we've ever seen them kind of like package the next gen movie with the you know like generations with the last two of the 
you know, it's it's a, it's a way of kind of thinking of generations as the last of the original series stuff instead of the first and the next gen. We've never seen them kind of mix it, mix those different franchises together before. Yeah, I would love that. I haven't seen the movies in so long, and uh, Undiscovered Country and First Contact are my favorite Trek movies. And I, I, I want to show them to my wife, but they just... They look they terrible. Yeah. Mm. Um, it, makes them, it makes them look dated. You know, when I was watching yeah. Motion Picture the other day, this new 4K transfer, it was like, I mean, the, the things that look dated now are just because we've been watching it forever and we know when they're wearing the pajamas, it must be old. But otherwise, it looks like they just shot it, right? And so it's, it looks, it looks oh, yeah. so not dated. Talking about things excited, you know, of course, I'm excited for the the director's edition in 4K that we know is going to get an exclusive temporary release on Paramount Plus, followed by at some point a physical media release. They did say that, right? But believe, yeah, I'm going to be there for day one Paramount Plus. If it happens to be between seasons of stuff, I'll cancel. I'll restart my subscription for that. I'm actually waiting to play like my son and my girl motion picture until that director's edition because I, th- I think it's going to be more palatable uh, to them with the modern effects and stuff but yeah I mean that's I'm sure that's that's the thing I'm mostly you know the thing I was most looking about forward to this year was Villeneuve's Dune and then the thing I'm most looking forward to next year is the director's edition of the motion picture probably and certainly getting the other Trek movies in 4K all right. Uh, do you guys stay up till midnight for New Year's? You old men now, you just go to sleep? We'll see. Probably will. Probably yeah, will. Yeah, most likely. And I'm too old for that. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, I talked about that Criterion Godzilla box set. I remember that that New Year's Eve of the year, that, that box set came out. My son and I were just, we're going to marathon Godzilla all the way, all night. And I missed a couple of those movies because I kind of slept through. <laughs> I woke up long enough to swap the discs, I think, or something. But he made it. I guess I'm getting a little too old for it, too. <laughs> All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you for uh, holiday 2021. A few of your favorite things. Uh, folks, You, if you stuck with us for this whole hour, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry again that we changed our plan at the last minute. Paramount. But yeah, that wasn't us. That was Paramount. So again, we're going to be back bi-weekly as usual but our next three podcasts we will only be discussing one episode of star trek discovery and then after that we'll return to two episodes per podcast discussion dom want to tell the folks uh where they can find you when when, when are you going to know uh the release date for um for the the discovering dune book yeah that's a big question um it, it, so if you want to get updates about that we do have a social media presence that isn't really active right now because we don't have a release date. But um, uh, so if you look for Discovering Dune, uh, you can find the book on McFarland's website. Should be able to find our Twitter and Facebook account. It might also be under Dune Scholar. So uh, check that as well, depending on what the search algorithm takes you to. Um, we're expecting April 2022, but we just, you know, the publishing business is kind of, has been hit by COVID. So you know, a lot of it's been slowed down. Hopefully soon. It's great that they're officially making the sequel movie, right? So it's going to keep doing the consciousness for a while. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was, I was terrified that we were not going to get a sequel, and now it looks like Denny Villeneuve is saying he wants to shoot the third movie, the third book as well, Dune Messiah. Which I would be over the moon if that happened. 
So go see Dune Part 2, make it a box office hit so we can get the third movie. Two years. Two years. All right. So that's where you can find Dom. And you can find us back here in two weeks. So, you know, from the bottom of our hearts, we love each and every listener. And we hope you are all having a safe and happy holidays. We're excited for 2022. 2021 was better than 2020. And I believe 2022 is going to be better than 2021. So with that, you can follow us on Twitter at Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Thank you for spending an hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. Stefan, I passed it.